and the, the joy experienced at the the the, the play, at the shame of others. How about that? If you didn't know Schadenfreude, that's a great word to know. Not a very Buddhist word. This episode is sponsored by Harvest. I used Harvest to track time, track subcontractors' time, and invoice clients. Their time tracking is really simple and easy to use. Invoicing includes a pay now function by credit card and PayPal, and you can sign up at getharvest.com. Use the code RF to get 50% off your first month. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 17 of the Ruby Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Eric Davis. Hi. We also have Evan Light. Holy crap, we're up to 17. Yep. We also have Jeff Schoolcraft. What's up? And I'm Charles Maxwood from teachmetocode.com. And uh, this week we're going to be talking about uh, hiring subcontractors. So have we all had subcontractors at one point or another? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay, cool. So, um... I'm not exactly sure where to start. I guess we just start wherever we start and then go from there because we tend to come back around to whatever, t- you know, whatever we missed at the beginning. So, <clears throat> so first off, um, do any of you have subcontractors currently? I'm hiring a new one. I have a couple. All right, cool. And and I have a few as well. Um, so what, what kind of jobs do you subcontract? Do you subcontract the programming? Do you subcontract... Other things too. Uh, mostly, mostly programming. Though uh, I'm just starting to play with uh, assistants, trying to get them to do some stuff that's on my plate that I can pass out. But mostly programming. It's easier for me to uh, to successfully hire talent that I need for something I'm familiar with, as opposed to something I can barely figure out myself. Right. That makes a lot of sense. That's actually a, a conversation I did have with a, um, with a client of mine where I was hiring a subcontractor and he was basically saying, well, you know, I, w- I was looking for programmers and, you know, I wasn't confident enough to hire him. And that was exactly it was, well, I can hire him because I can look at the code and I can tell you mm-hmm. whether or not it's good. Yeah, I've done that. I've also subcontracted design work. That okay. one's easy because I can't really do much design. Where I'm only learning to. Now, have you uh, truly subcontracted that? As in, you managed the whole thing, or did you? Because I've always been leery of trying to do anything with design because it's always fairly personal for the clients. Yeah, the I, said, design I, is, I, I truly subcontracted it, but then again, this was someone who I've worked with off and on before, and I trusted him to communicate well with the client because I've seen him work before, and so I knew he was going to do a good job. I, I I understand what you're saying. I feel the same way in general about subcontractors. Um, so one of the topics that's easy to get into is, have you been burned by subcontractors? And the answer is, well, yeah, because... It, Hiring a subcontractor can be difficult. You don't necessarily for remote work um, like I do. You don't know how I don't know how they'll work out because it takes a different skill set or additional skill sets to be an effective remote worker versus um, working in person. And I've seen a lot. I've seen some very very talented people um, be kind of awful remote workers. 
Mm-hmm. So and and these not so great subcontractors as a result, and it usually has to do with uh, communication and the inertia, and that needs to be overcome to communicate with people who are remote. Yeah, that was sort of less my concern just then. Uh, well, that's my experience with problems. It's usually been communication. No, no, no. I mean, uh, my question was: Did you truly subcontract that, or just put the client in touch with somebody else and let them deal with that nightmare? Was Sort of insulating the sub from the oh. client, or how much visibility does a sub have into the project? Because I mean, as a developer, it's one thing. I mean, we deal with change requests; we understand what that is. But I mean, all I hear from designers are revision, revi- revision, revision. Change this font, change this color, blah blah blah. And I mean, I'm not a designer, so I don't, I don't have anything set up to. I haven't insulated I haven't a sub had that ex- from that. I- I've had two experience with two experiences with designers. One that one uh, was where we were both contractors on a project. We're actually, I guess, we were technically both subs. No contractors, and um, they were each pain in the ass. And then with a sub who was great, but he was a new designer, and he worked. He was a, he he is was a programmer, and he works um, more like we do. I guess you could say. And so, no, he doesn't go tweaking things all the time. He comes up with a design and he's pretty set on it. So I didn't have any problems like that. Um, I like to have my subs be fairly independent and be able to talk to the client. I just ask to be kept in the loop about what the communicate, what communication is ongoing. Um, so yes, there has to be a fairly high degree of trust, but that's also because I don't, like the fidelity loss that can occur if the client talks to me and I talk to the subs because I know that even I won't be a perfect conduit no matter how hard I try. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat. And, uh, you know, I have uh, three different guys that are working for me right now doing different contracts. And, um, you know, they're they're more or less managing the communication lines with the clients. And then I just, you know, manage things on the sidelines and offer my expertise when the subcontractor doesn't have the expertise to do what they need. Yeah, that's what I'm going to be doing with my next, with my new sub pretty soon. Yeah, I, I do have to say, um, and, and maybe this is a point where we can get into where we've been burned by subcontractors, but um, it was it, it was like two years ago, I hired a guy off of Odesk and he was pretty inexpensive and he did okay work, but eventually he just kind of flaked out. I think part of it was because there was a bit of language barrier there. He he was in Brazil. Um, he spoke okay English, but not great English. And um, one thing that I ran into with him was just that, um, you know, I would tell him to get something done and then it inevitably either wouldn't get done or would get done, you know, incorrectly. And, um, you know, it, it was so funny because in the beginning he was fine. And then toward the end, it, you know, he started having these problems. And so, you know, I wound up, um, you know, eating a bunch of the costs for having him work because, you know, Odesk requires you to pay for their time. And, uh, you know, I, I could, you know, I could, I could argue with it a little bit, you know, and you can fight him on Odesk, but it just wasn't worth it. So, yeah, I'm just surprised you even mentioned Odesk, frankly. Yeah. Well, it was it was the first time I'd subcontracted anything, and I figured out pretty fast that uh, you get what you pay for. Yeah, exactly. Just like well, the client hired you for a reason; they get what they pay for. Same yep. difference, you know. We we're just hiring another tier down of contractors. We also get what we pay for. Yeah, I mean the, the sub that I'm hiring, um, 
where I think I might have mentioned, I've mentioned this in our chat anyway, not in, in the podcast, is intentionally a local because I'd, I'd like to potentially grow a, a small boutique business, but it's also because I want to actually create a local Rails community. So I'm bootstrapping this guy out of PHP into Rails. Right. Yeah, that, I, I kind of like that approach. Um, one of my subcontractors is in our little Rails co-op. We have a little group where we chat about uh, Rails subcontracting or Rails contracting. And then um, the other guys that, uh, one of the other guys that I've hired, he's actually local. And uh, the third guy, um, he isn't, he's in Texas. But uh, the nice thing about the local guys is, yeah, I can go down there and I can smack them upside the head if they don't do do what needs to be done. Um, but the other thing is, is that in a lot of cases, I've actually worked with them at different companies. And so it's nice because I've actually seen their work. I've managed the, the guy that I hired here in Utah. And um, and so, the, you know, there were a couple of pluses there. I knew exactly what I was getting. Um, and yeah, you know, I, I know the kind of work he does. I know the, the kind of person he is. Um, we have a good working relationship. There's not a communication barrier. And I mean, worst case scenario, he has to drive 30 or 40 minutes to get to my house or I have to drive 30 or 40 minutes to get to his. And so it, it's rather nice that way. And I can definitely. So, so I, I was going to say, so it sounds like you're probably doing what I'm doing. That is that you're getting more work than you can do. And these, these are people who are pro, who, who are interested in freelancing, but they don't, they aren't marketing themselves. Right. And they're, they're perfectly happy to have you do all the marketing. Yeah. And that's one thing that works out rather well is that exactly you, you have some guys that, you know, all the, all the business management they really want to do is, um, you know, not even necessarily send you invoices, you know, they just, <laughs> they just want to get a check. They want to get the work done. Um, they like doing it from home. Yeah. Um, you know, that yeah. kind of thing. And, and the marketing thing is just something that they don't even want to think about. Yep. And so it's like, okay, you do all the hard parts, you get a cut of what I'm working and, uh, you know, everybody's happy. And so that, that's worked out really well for me. Um, but I had to learn the hard way with this other guy that I hired off of Odesk that, you know, I, I needed to, you know, kind of go up. On Odesk. Yeah. Not hire people on Odesk. <laughs> But but essentially hire you heard people, it here, folks. Don't hire people on Odesk. Yeah, but essentially hire people that are higher quality than Odesk. So Jeff was talking earlier about anti picks. <laughs> well, I mean, I'll dis or I'll disagree with the anti Odesk sentiment. I mean, you, I agree that you get what you pay for in ninety nine percent of the cases. I've I've found some absolutely brilliant people on Odesk, and I've found some absolutely horrible people on Odesk and regardless of how good I think my screening is it's worked out both ways for me mm -hmm. mm. but you can find people like there's well, um that, that's Mac generally app. true of anybody though I mean you, you can screen them and some of them just aren't going to work out yep yeah for the most part I mean and it depends on uh Technology, too, if you're hiring for tech outside your scope. I mean, even though it's tech and we understand software, hiring for, I don't know, a, a Scala person would be difficult for me. I mean, uh, I can understand the basics of uh, are you trying to BS me about tech in general, but I can't go deep into do you actually know what you're talking about or did you read a blog more than I did and can out vocabulary me or whatever mm -hmm. but yeah so, like out buzzword you yeah. yeah but i mean you can find folks on 
uh, Odesk in the U.S. that charge 60, 70 bucks an hour or something doing, I mean, a variety of things, .NET and Rails and mm-hmm. all that stuff. I mean, you can find decent people. Well, uh, that, that's Odesk. true, but there are so many people that you have to filter through. And I mean, even if you just filter it down to the five star people and blah, 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 right? The speaking yeah, I mean, English there's a and bunch stuff, of, it, it's still hard. Yeah, I mean, there are a bunch of games you have to play, but I mean, if you need somebody, it all depends on a bunch of things, right? So if you need somebody quickly and you don't have somebody waiting in the wings or you're not keeping somebody on overhead or finding them busy work to do, I mean, you have to find somebody quickly. It's an easy place to jump because they have so many people. But then you're playing games with filtering and language and reviews and build an hour or one dollar on Odesk and then put some stupid thing in the job description that says you won't be looked at unless you include this particular string or the result of this particular snippet of code in the response, blah, blah, blah. So but, tr- let me turn the question around. Under what circumstances do you find yourself needing someone that quickly? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I've done it. I've had a, a number of quick turnaround. Like, so there's a Mac app I'm interested in building. Huh. And I'm probably not going to build it myself. And I don't necessarily have... Uh, I'll throw a search out on Odesk and Elance and see if I can find somebody. Okay, but that's not necessarily has to get done right away sort of thing though, right? No, it doesn't. And I've had contracts, I've had some contracts that have a deadline like a couple weeks out for something that I just don't feel like doing. And And I'll find somebody in a relatively quick time frame. And it's for, I mean, admittedly, it's for a fairly well-defined task, but... So, I mean, there have been a few occasions like that, especially for like stupid stuff that, I mean, especially CSS and crap like that, that I just hate to deal with. <laughs> I right. sympathize. I sympathize greatly there. I mean, because I'll do, I'll do something like uh, chop chop or something to get a design sliced up to, to HTML. But then if I have to do some, some little tweaks, I mean, I, you can go back and forth to them, but that's not very responsive. And it's easier to have somebody that I can just talk to you on Skype and say, hey, deal with this for me because it's going to take me five hours to figure out and it'll take you five minutes. Yeah, I might have to do that sometime too. I, guess I, really, I really hate CSS and there are some projects I kind of pass on because they seem to CSS or front-end heavy and I just don't want to deal with a lot of that stuff. Right. So um, Jeff mentioned a screening process. Um, what what do you put your uh, what do you put your potential subcontractors through to make sure that they're you know up up to the challenge of of writing great code for your clients? I mean, it depends on the source. I mean, the ultimate test is to spend some time pair programming with me, just so I can see how you how you think about a problem and how you do development. I mean, some of that is pedant pedanticness on my part, but some of it is. I mean, you actually have to see how how people can write code and respond to uh, respond to problem definitions. See how see how much you have to explain to a person to get your idea across. And then mm-hmm. nine times out of ten, it's whatever communication barrier you have hiring a sub. The onus is on you to explain yourself and not expect somebody else to just magically understand you. Right. Well, it's also a matter of 
is this a sub you're going to let talk to a client or is this someone that you're just going to interact with? Um, and if it's the latter, then then I, I guess I could see to some extent how pairing would give you some clue about how they do and don't communicate. Um, if it's the former, though, then that one's trickier. And also, if in either case, if you're not working um, – Sitting, if you're not sitting right next to the person when they're working, then the dynamic won't be quite the same as as though you're pairing. Because again, there's that remote developer inertia. By which you mean? By which I mean that there's a difference between there's a big difference between sending an IM to someone and turning over your shoulder and yelling, "Hey, Jeff!" It's mm-hmm. a lot easier to just shout out, "Hey, Jeff!" than it is to to go do a few clicks, open a window and type a message. And there is actually a barrier. I agree there's a barrier, but I've been in plenty of offices where I've sent an IM and turned over my shoulder and said, hey, whoever, I just sent you this thing. But no, I get it. I I hear you. I get it. And and yet I've, from having worked remotely with teams for a few years now, that barrier is very real. And again, I've seen very competent people who, I mean, people who otherwise were great in teams do pretty awfully with remote teams. Well, there's a difference there too as well. I mean, so, and I guess that's a, an entire discussion on its own is just the yeah, ability to work, the ability to work remotely without supervision. I mean, yep. because it's one thing to pair because. Because it's paired, it's a mutual micromanagement. Exactly. Really. And you're, right. I mean, you're fairly obvious if you hear a bunch of clacking on the keyboard and it takes a couple seconds for somebody to respond that they're not paying attention to you and they're serving Reddit or whatever. But <laughs> and so that's so there's less of the peer pressure than right. physically pair program with somebody, but pro pair programming in general is enough peer pressure most of the time to convince remote people to work. But if you're I'm, remote pairing with them, sure. If you're not remote pairing, then right, then they could be doing anything. And I've I've had various experiences there. I've had uh, in I, uh, in, in a nutshell, when it comes to remote subcontractors, I'm a lot more concerned with reliability and communication skills than I am with technical chops, mm-hmm. uh, because it, even if their code is is not doesn't meet my my anal retentive standards, uh, as as long as I know what they're doing and they ask me the right questions and they ask the customer the right questions, then I can at least be reasonably convinced the end product will be very close, if not on target. And with people who are excellent programmers who don't communicate, who don't ask questions, then I have no idea what they're going to build. And the customer doesn't either. <laughs> yeah. Um, as far as my screening process goes, I, I generally will talk to them a few times. I, you know, I do the interview kind of thing, you know, just to get an idea of where they're at. Um, and then I'll also usually get code samples from them. Um, sometimes I'll actually give them a dumb little project to build, you know, just, you know, spend three or four hours building a blog or something just so that I can kind of get a feel for, you know, what parts they get. Cause I, I make them give them, give me access to a Git repo. And so then I can see, okay, they built this first, they did this next that, you know, um, and, and I can get an idea too of, of how they commit and what their, what their habits are when they're coding that way. Um, I don't know that I've ever pair programmed to somebody, but I kind of like that idea. Um, but yeah, ultimately then the, the other thing is, yeah, are you going to get the amount of work done that I need you to get done, you know, within the amount of time that I've, that I need it done, you know, are you capable of doing that? And, you know, can I rely on you to put in the time to get it done? 
So I guess if we're if we're going to get back to talking about screening, I try to restrict my subbing these days to people who I know fairly well already. And that way I already know how they communicate. I already have a pretty good idea how they work, even if I've never actually worked with them, even if I've never actually paired with them. I'm a lot more concerned about understanding their values and how they communicate and having some sense of how they work than actually seeing code. Because as I said, even if I even if I don't necessarily even if I don't agree with how they code something, as long as I know for sure they're gonna get the job done, that's my biggest concern because I've had a lot of problems in the past with contractors who might write perfect code and don't necessarily get the job done. Yeah. Yep. I think that's really the most common way that you get burned is um, you know, not necessarily that they're writing terrible code because you, you can generally get an idea of where they're at and whether or not they can write decent it's code. It's a communication breakdown. It's, the, it's a communication breakdown, and either you're not communicating well what they need to do, or they're just not doing it. And and generally, if you're going to point the blame, it's probably more your fault than theirs. Now, that one's debatable, and, and the reason I say that is because there needs to be some... Well, you, I guess you could you can put it that way, Yes. However, and this isn't me being defensive. I'm, I'm just trying to find the phrasing here. However, what there needs to be up front is an understanding of how independent you expect that that contractor to yeah. be. And if it's if it's very clear to both parties, you expect them to be reasonably independent um, for some definition of reasonably and some definition of independent. And they fail to achieve that. They fail to, to deliver given that expectation. Then that's mostly on them other than that you hired them. Right. And that's fair enough. Yeah. And, and I've been there in that case. I've also had the case where I, uh, working with a small team, I've inherited um, subs after a fashion as well and had people flake out then too. Yeah. In my experience, I mean, except for the one guy that I hired off of Odesk where he just wasn't writing, you know, decent quality code for whatever reason which he was doing in the beginning, which really frustrated me, but whatever, either way, he, you know, so he eventually flaked out, but that was on quality. Most of the time, um, where I wind up picking up the slack is that the client wanted something done within a certain time frame. They committed to be able to get that done within the time frame, And then they didn't put in the time to do it. Yep. And, yeah. and, and that, that by far is the most frequent problem that I have had. Which, you know, which comes back to the, they didn't deliver, which means really, usually they didn't deliver on time. Right. I've seen that a lot before where it's, it's simply a matter of the con the subcontractor knows what they need to do, but they don't put enough, enough effort in and they're off schedule for one reason, or just simply the subcontractors off schedule for whatever reason. I've seen mm -hmm. that one a lot. It's not necessarily they haven't put in the hours. Right. I had there was one guy I worked with who he he was marvelous when you paired with him, but he on his own he just churned. He would just he oh, just geez. wasn't he just was not making progress. And yeah, it was really it was really frustrating because as I said, he was just absolutely great when you pair mm -hmm. with him. I worked with a guy that. Uh he was, so, he, so, sorry. So as an aside that that's also, I guess that's also an effective, that's a warning against just pair with them and see how they do. Because this, this guy was aberrant and that he paired terrifically, but solo, he was not effective. Right. Well, and the interesting thing, I mean, we're talking about this and I don't want to necessarily scare people away from subcontracting because, you know, it, it is a really good way of getting a, a good deal of work done for your client. Um, but, 
and, and you run into these same problems if you're actually hiring employees. Um, you know, it, it really just comes down to your ability to discern what the needs are and whether or not this person can meet them. But sometimes be, it is hard and, if they're remote. And be responsible and accountable for them. So yes. I, I, I will actually push back on what you just said. I do want to make people a little scared about taking on subs because you're making more work for yourself one way or the other. You have to communicate with these people. You have to monitor these people because they're subs. You're the prime. You're responsible. Yeah, I agree. You, you could you, you could use the anal retentive Starfleet version. Okay, so it's Star Trek, not Star Wars. You know, mm-hmm. you're the captain of the ship. It, it's all your fault, no matter what. Yeah, and and I, I guess what I was trying to say, not necessarily. I don't want to scare people away from it, but because I do want them to be you know wary of some of the problems that they can run into, and you know help them avoid it. I just don't want people to dismiss it out of hand because it oh, sounds yeah, hard. Totally. It's, so. it's just it's more work, but it's it, it will let you grow your business. But yep. it's it's more work. Almost anything that makes that'll let you scale up beyond just yourself until you reach a significantly large scale, which none of us are at, I don't think, um, is going to be more work. It's just a question of whether it's worth it or not. And that varies person to person. Yeah. I just want to reiterate what you said before, though, and that is that if you are the prime contractor, you have subcontractors, you are responsible for your subcontractors work, including their successes and their screw ups. Oh, hell yes. But on on the flip side of that, then you also need to hold your subcontractors accountable to you. Oh, absolutely. Because your customer is your customer, but you are your subcontractor's customer. So if if they screw up, then you get in trouble with – even if you don't get in trouble with your customer, sometimes I preempt – I try to preempt mistakes when I see problems with the sub. I try to to correct the problem before the customer – ever notices mm-hmm. when I can, but it's not always possible. Sometimes you don't see. Right. So speaking of holding your subcontractors responsible, do any of you guys have a standard subcontracting cl- contract that you have I your subcontractor to, sign? I need to get one. So I, I actually have one. I went to an attorney and had him draw one up for me. It cost me 92 bucks or something. Open source it, please. Who is your attorney? They only charge you 92 bucks for that. Well, <laughs> he had a standard boilerplate one that I read through with him. And then yeah, I but said, that's like five minutes of explaining on lawyer time. I know <laughs> he, he was, he was actually pretty good. He sent it to me. I asked him a bunch of questions over email. He responded to those. Um, I cleared up a few things with it. And then I said, these are the things that I need to change. Cause it had a pretty hefty non-compete in it. And yeah, if I'm hiring subcontractors that are freelance Ruby or Rails freelancers, I just, you know, I, I can't have a non-compete in there because that basically says you can't work for anyone else. And and that's that's not fair to them. So that's I had what a lot of non-competes read like. Yeah. So basically it, you know, I just said, look, here's here's the gist of what I need it to say. And basically it was, um, you know, you can't steal my clients. So if you work for me. Um, on, on a client's project, you know, you can't work for that client unless I give you the okay, you know, as a direct contractor. And, and that's, that's more or less the gist of that. And then the rest of it is just, you know, putting liability on them, you know, for, uh, things that they may or may not mess up and and stuff like that. Um, but it, it, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to really enforce a lot of that because ultimately you have to prove that they screwed it up and that, you know, they, you know, they, they did it wrong and they did it wrong in, you know, whatever ways that the contract actually explains. So, and it has, well, 
contracts are are there for when things go bad. But the yeah. other thing I'm realizing is contracts are really there for only only for when things go so bad that it's actually worth enough money to sue someone. Right. And, that, that's <laughs> and you, the true. answer is usually it's not because yeah. the lawsuit would just be so painful for both parties and so expensive for both parties. The, the, the magnitude of a mistake would have to be enormous. I agree. But at the same time, I mean, just like you should have a contract with your clients, you oh, should yeah, have a course. contract with your subcontractors. And really what really? that does is it, it really does define you know, it in basic terms, how how the relationship is going to work, at least from a business standpoint, and lets them know, look, these are the expectations that I have. These are the expectations that you should have. And, you know, it, it, it just kind of solidifies that so that it's not this ad hoc. Well, I'll pay you when I have money. And, yeah. you know, so just just to reiterate, like you did when I was talking earlier, definitely have a contract with your subcontractors. When I said that the contracts are really only there for when things go bad, all relationships, well, most relationships, I can't say all, most relationships start on a good foot. They don't necessarily end that way. I was going to say, you don't go into the relationship thinking, this one's probably going to go bad. I better get a contract. <laughs> right. <laughs> Because you know, when I sense when when I get the impression with a potential client, this relationship is probably going to go bad. That's just not someone I. That's someone I just don't work with. Yeah, exactly. You know, if you're if you're at that beginning stage, you're just like, yeah, this isn't going to work. Yeah, <laughs> and so you don't you don't work it. Exactly. Um, I've had a few of those. Yeah. Well, I've had a few of those. I think we all have to some yeah. degree or another. But uh, you know, it it definitely works out well. What what tools do you guys use to communicate with your um, subcontractors. Email, email <laughs> Skype. I mean, yeah, email, it? Skype, Chili Project, Sketch, Sketch. Yeah, those are big ones. I'm, I'm starting. I, I, mentioned, much, but. I mentioned there's a pick before, but I'm starting to use Cloud App instead of Sketch because it's sometimes the only thing I, I don't get from Cloud App that I do get from Sketch is if I want to annotate. If I want to take an image and then I want to annotate it and then share it, Sketch is good for that. If I just want to share a picture of something, then Cloud App is way faster for that. There's, a, I would say, 90% of the time if I break out Sketch, if I take a screenshot, it's because I want to annotate something. Yeah, okay. Right. Yeah, I like Sketch. I'm actually using Pivotal Tracker. I'm paying for oh, it yeah, right so now. Left out Pivotal Tracker. Almost always use Pivotal Tracker. Yeah, I, I'm actually paying for it so that I can have the private projects. I'm trying mm -hmm. to decide if that's the way I, I still want to go, or if I want to use something like Chili Project where I can just set it up on a machine and then not have to pay for it except for the hosting. Um, uh, I, I and quite... maintenance and plugging yeah. configuration and getting clients to understand it. Yeah, I, I guess... But, uh, well, that's a debatable one, too, if you want it. And that's a whole different topic is do you really want to share your Pivotal Tracker project if that's what you're using with your client? Because I've had mixed experiences with that. I, I've All done right. it in then, every every case. And if they don't care, then they don't get in. <laughs> they just it, don't it, sign it, in. It's not necessarily function to – well, sometimes it's a function of they don't care. This is a, definitely a rat hole. Sometimes it's they don't care. That's easy. Sometimes it's they care – and they want to see, okay, fine, but then they don't necessarily understand what they're seeing. Oh, and, right, then yeah. the, and then the worst ones is if they want to comment, you give them read-write privileges, mm -hmm. and they do stupid stupid things, which I think I've only maybe had happen a little bit once, and I usually nip it in the bud. But it's often that they get they start looking at Pivotal Tracker, and they don't really understand what they're looking at. Right, that makes sense. 
I mean, you have to have a fairly solid understanding of... Don't add don't say agile. <laughs> well, I mean, Scrum and iteration. I mean, you have to understand yeah. the paradigm of right. icebox and backlog and... Yeah. Yeah, but... I mean, you mean, velocity you, and all that stuff. But, yeah. I mean, I, I, I agree. I mean, there's different different tools for talking to a customer than maybe talking for a, to a sub. But, I mean, you said you had a designer, Evan. I don't know that a designer is going to necessarily get in and love Chili Project or Pivotal at that point. I mean, mm-hmm. they, Well, as I, generally I'd agree with you. As I said, this was a guy who was a coder first, so he was completely cool with it. Yeah. But, um, yeah, generally I'd agree with you. Yeah, one other tool that I've used a lot with my subcontractors is Dropbox. If you oh, have yeah. documents you have to pass around, it's a great way to go. And uh, one other thing that uh, I've used both with clients and with subcontractors, if I need to make a point, is balsamic mockups. Um, just because you can get something that up that that you've thrown together that's quick and dirty that kind of gives them an idea. You know, these are the elements that need to be there, and here's kind of what they do, and so you can kind of annotate that way as well. I'm trying to think what other. Well, I use Skype all the time. Um, and it's just, it's really handy for screen sharing and stuff. Uh, the only thing that I, or the only area I have a problem with it with the screen sharing is that you can't interact with their screen. And so uh, if I've had other problems with the screen sharing, occasionally it just stops. Yeah. And, well, there is that too. And that's actually my, usually my biggest complaint with Skype period is that the screen sharing is unreliable. Right. Yeah. Reliability issues aside, because Skype does have other reliability issues that come up here or there. But uh, if you need to make it work, then what you can do is you can go get an AOL Instant Messenger account and then use iChat. And then you can actually interact with their screen. Like you can share the mouse, um, you can, you know, share the keyboard and all that stuff. So you can actually then essentially pair program over the over the wire with that and you know you can see what they're doing and you can actually get in and use their machine to show them what you need so I found team viewer and join me to be much better alternatives to Skype or VNC yeah. or Apple's iChat with screen sharing team viewer is expensive though but it works very nicely team viewer is yeah. expensive and join me is all browser based uh-huh. uh, the view is browser-based, but you can swap sides and you can interact if both sides of you have uh, the client downloaded. Uh-huh. And I, I don't know if they're built on top of TeamView or not. They have a, a nine-digit ID very similar to TeamViewer's IDs. But mm-hmm. See, yeah. this, is, this is where I don't share my screen. I uh, when it, it's more Granted, this is more for remote pairing, but... I think I mentioned before I use yeah, SSH and Tmux or Wemux now, but when I want to share screens, this is actually where I use Cloud App. I just take a, a shot, it gets uploaded, and then I instantly get a link and I just paste it in the chat. Right. This this is for the higher higher fidelity communication where you actually need to interact on some level to get the idea across. Yeah. If you need to demo something, yeah, I haven't yeah. really had to do that much of that. So. But yeah, I, you know, there are a lot of great tools that we've, we've listed here and, uh, you know, I'm sure there are some that we've left off that we use. Screenflow, because Evan mentioned demos. I do a lot of oh, yeah. screencasts for demos. Yeah. Yeah. I've got screener for that, which is not cheap, but I got it mm-hmm. cheap on an AppSumo. 
Right. And then one other thing that I use to track time for my clients, and this is probably a whole nother rat hole, um, is I, I actually use harvest and I just give them an account on my harvest account and assign them to the project. And then they can go in and track their time in my system. And then when I do the invoices, it's really easy because the time is already in there. And so then I can pay them according to what's in harvest and I can bill my client according to what's in harvest. Yeah. FreshBooks is basically the same. It makes subbing yeah. a breeze. That's actually, that's actually the reason I started using FreshBooks is because it made sub, it would, it handled subbing so much better than harvest did at least at the time. Yeah. And, and I think, I think harvest has kind of developed a lot of the features that a lot of people like about FreshBooks. So um, I, I think the, I think the difference isn't as pronounced as it might've been in the past, but um, it's, it's nice to know that there are tools out there, you know, if, if harvest goes away for whatever reason, or, you know, they do something that really ticks me off. I can just, you know, come over to fresh books and do the same thing. Like not sponsoring the show. No, if, if they quit sponsoring the show, I'll keep using them, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm, I'm just trying to think, oh, and that reminds me too, if, if you've been listening to the show for a while, um, there was an issue in the, the sponsorship message. They initially sent me uh, uh, the discount code for one month free, and and they said it was RR, and then they changed it to RF, but the sponsorship message that I recorded, I didn't change because I didn't realize, or it it fell through the cracks one way or the other, probably my fault, but anyway, if you've been trying to get that free month, then use the the code RF instead of RR. Or blame Chuck. Yeah, or blame me. If if you've had a problem with it, just email me and I'll put I'll get I'll get in touch with the right people and make it happen for you. But anyway, so you have tracking the time. Do I, have any of you or do any of you just have them send you an invoice with their hours on it and then you just pass that along to the client? I'm assuming you're billing hourly and doing some kind of markup on the rate. Usually, not not always, but usually. Yeah, I'll fall into the usually camp as well. Is, is there another way that you uh, you um, work out the, the deal there? Yeah, sometimes I'm just a pass-through. It depends. What do you mean a pass-through? Where I, they bill me and I bill the client exactly the same thing that they bill me. Okay. Where there's, no, where there's no markup is the short version. Okay. I've done it a different way where I had a fixed bid with a client and then I paid a designer to do some design work for me at an hourly. And so I just paid their invoice and then that was just a cost of doing the fixed bid. Right. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, You know, if it makes sense for the project, then definitely. And uh, so have, have any of you actually then just had them invoice you and then you pass that along or do you just, you know, how does that work? Is, is it just, well, I just, since I'm using fresh books, um, they submit to me and it gets included when I submit my invoice, their invoice gets included in my invoice, mm-hmm. but I typically review my subcontractors invoices just to make sure that there's nothing that will throw the client for a loop. Um, and that's just a matter of, of communication and knowing to look for, just look, knowing to look for things which might set a client off inadvertently. Poor choice of words or cursing. I mean, that's an obvious one. Or right. or saying something that a client will likely misinterpret to mean there was some kind of significant failure where there wasn't or something like that. Yeah, I mean, the biggest, the biggest example – well, it's not an example, but the biggest scenario that I have that's a similar case is 
uh, when the subcontractor's entering time, they're entering time for me and not for the end client. Mm-hmm. And so their comments are directed to me more than to the end client about the description of whatever work they've been doing. Mm-hmm. And so there's been some massaging that I've had to do to include that for the client. Just yeah. You know, I like the client to have as much transparency as possible. At the same time, I want to make sure that what the subcontractor is saying is presentable to the the client. Right. Yeah, generally with most of my clients, um, like I said, I just have my guys entering their hours into harvest and then the the client just gets an invoice for the hours. And, uh, you know, it's basically a, hey, if you have any questions about what was done or how the time was spent or things like that, then you're, you're welcome to... Well, Contact well, me, but, but generally they... Have, none of us have said, although I kind of alluded to, is I, I always put, and I assume you guys do this too, though, is that you put comments next to all of your time entries and that you're, you have your subs put comments next to all your time entries. Uh-huh. And, and what I was talking about was reviewing those subcontractor comments. I just want to be clear, especially for people who are listening, that I want to have in writing what was done for these hours of this day. Right. Not necessarily in gory detail, though occasionally. Yeah. See, I go higher level than that because I tie all the time to like actual features. And so my invoice just says the features. It doesn't actually break down like this many hours for this feature. They can look it up like if it's all available in my system and stuff. But I just found like on the invoice side, it makes it too cluttery. And especially if there's like 10 time entries for one feature, it just, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I I didn't care for it. My clients actually like it a lot cleaner so they can just see what they paid for. I would do that except for except a lot of the time the clients themselves don't really have names for the features. I'm ascribing names to them. So the names are a lot more meaningful to me than they are to the client. Right. One one thing that I have to point out is that most of mine just, you know, my invoices just say programming and then give the number of hours. Huh. Yeah, I, I don't I don't give them any detail whatsoever on what was going on. But then again, with most of my clients, they're pretty involved lockstep with the project and so so they already know they already know that it got done they know what's there um the ones that aren't as you know intimately involved in what's going on um you know they they just get the invoice and pay it and you know they don't do a lot of follow-up because they either trust me or they're busy or whatever and if they wanted that level of detail i would provide it but most of them don't care enough to even ask for it so but but I do like the idea of putting notes in there so that, you know, for, for backward reference or whatever, you can just go in and say, well, it says this, you know. So anyway, um, are there any a- other aspects of subcontractors or subcontracting that we haven't covered? I, I think somebody mentioned assistance, which is not exactly, you know, like skilled person subcontracting. Um, is that something we want to talk about for a few minutes? Because we got about five minutes before we need to get into the picks. I don't know. Assistance sounds a little bit different than than subbing. Subbing is usually more specific to the work that we do day to day. Yeah. Well, it's project oriented versus just task oriented versus business oriented, really. Yeah, I I think I think there's probably enough there too to actually do a a whole other show. So let's go ahead and skip that. Is there anything else you guys want to talk about before we wrap this up? Because I'm okay wrapping it up a few minutes early. Wrap it up. All right. So let, let's do the picks then. Um, Evan, do you want to start us off with the picks this week? No. Evan, will you start us off with the picks this week? <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Can I say no to that one too? Um, 
I really don't, I don't know that I have any this week. I'm just trying to think about, oh yeah, I guess the, cl- the closest thing I can get, and I mentioned it in my Twitter feed, is um, working on, and this is Ruby specific, not freelancing specific. I guess we actually covered a lot of things that could, could be considered picks earlier in, in the uh, the talk, but um, is I used a gem called Cannibal, and the name is not spelled as though someone who eats someone else. Um, I've used Can Can in the fa- in the past with apologies to Ryan Bates. Occasionally, it drives me completely bonkers. Um, Cannibal is a beautifully simple gem. the The lib directory is all of eighty two lines of code. Um, this isn't to say it's a hipster gem that way. It's just it really is that simple to understand. There's that little going on, and it works marvelously. So nice. recommend taking a look at it. Sounds good. Sometimes can can does seem a little. I I don't want to say it's too simple or too complex. It just doesn't seem to fit all the time. I've just had weird problems. I think maybe it's my mental model of can 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 is not a hundred percent correct. Yeah. Um, and that I expect it to behave in a certain way, and it behaves in a different one. And I've gone plowing through the code a little bit in the past, but. Um, and even then, my mental model still isn't 100% because can-can is just not something I use all the time. And um, But Cannibal, as I said, it's I think it's literally 82 lines of code in the one file or the implementation in the uh, lib directory. Yeah, 82 lines. And it really is pretty simple. Um, John Nunemaker usually impresses me in his, with his code. This is one of his. All right, cool. Um, Eric, what are your picks? Um. So my pick today is a presentation. Um, basically, it's about distraction and how, like modern time, we're kind of getting like really, really distracted. You know, iPhone, Twitter, all that jazz. Um, it's yeah, I think look. like fifteen odd minutes. It's pretty good. Um, the thing I really liked about it was at the end he actually has two ideas about how to how to get better at not being distracted, and it's pretty practical stuff that you can kind of put in practice right away. So I recommend watching it. Um, in the link, there's actually a transcript if you don't want to actually watch the video. Um, what is it? Part three is the like what you can actually do if you don't want to see a lot of the background on it. I'm sorry. What were you talking about? Eric doesn't have a sense of humor today. Be careful. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's not a good day for sarcasm. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, Jeff, what are your picks? Oh, picks. I don't. I don't know that I have any today. I'm gonna skip picks today. Okay. I don't have anything oh. useful. All right. I, I almost did that until I remembered Cannibal. Yeah. So, um, one thing that I've been uh, involved in, and I've I've brought this up several times, is the podcast mastermind. And uh, the the guy that runs it, his name's Cliff Ravenscraft. He does podcastanswerman.com. I've had a lot of people ask me how to get started with podcasting. And um, I'm totally willing to help people. I just don't have a lot of time. And so what I'm going to recommend is um, Cliff is actually holding a podcasting A to Z course. Um, it starts next month. And uh, I think it starts on the 9th of July, he said, and goes through August 4th. Um, uh, everything that Cliff does, I, I just think is awesome. Um, it's $999, but if you go in and you use the promo code WOOD, like my last name, W-O-O-D, um, if you put in the, the promo code WOOD, then you get $100 off, and I get a little bit of a referral bonus. But um, honestly, it's it's totally worth it. And he, he talks through equipment, he talks through hosting, he talks through 
uh, audio quality. He talks about uh, audio formats, uh, how to put your site up, how to how to run WordPress to get uh, get it up and get it up fast. Um, I mean, everything that you want to know about it, 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 he just, he covers it all. I mean, it, it is literally an A to Z course. It, and, you know, as I said, it's four weeks long and just, it's, it's going to be awesome. So, um, you can go check it out at podcasting a to Z.com. And, uh, I'll put a link in the show notes as well, along with, uh, the promo code so that you can just remember and go to, uh, Ruby freelancer show 17. Um, other than that, I've been working through the getting things done book. Um, I know we've talked about it before, but, um, you know, I've, I've wound up buying a whole bunch of stuff. And one of the things that I bought was this, um, brother labeler. And I have to say, I've had it for a few days now and I absolutely love this thing. Um, (laughs) are you trying not to laugh, Evan? No, that was, yeah, that was a small laugh. (laughs) It's, it's just nice. I mean, I've been able to, I'm probably labeling things that don't need to be labeled. The first Cat, thing I pictured, uh, the first thing uh, I pictured was slapping a label on a child's forehead. <laughs> that was, that's why I laughed. That was the first thing that came to mind. Yeah, there we go. What's your name again? <laughs> but anyway, um, just, just a super handy tool. Um, I, I've used it to label all of my uh, file folders so I can actually read what's in them now. Um, and you know, just, just using it for things like that. has been really handy. He also tells you to go get a few other things that have also come in really handy. I don't think I had paper clips in my office for a long time. And, uh, I mean, I've been using those like crazy to, to get things together and make those work as well. So, um, anyway, uh, the book is awesome, but, uh, anyway, that, that's my pick is, is the labeler and I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. Um, so we are reading real quick. If you do get a labeler, make sure to get one that plugs into the wall. Um, I had a battery powered one. It worked good, but I kept having to recharge the batteries and I since Mm -hmm. upgraded to a plug in the wall one and it's like a million times more useful. That's, that's good to know. Mine actually has a spot that you can plug it in, but it didn't come with a power supply. So I'll have to go look through my collection of power supplies and see if I have one that'll work. But yeah, that's good to know. The other thing that you should know is don't get the clear labels. I've had, I've had clear labels for stuff before in other people's labelers, and I mean, if you put them on anything other than white paper, they're just kind of hard to read. Um, so I, I tend to like the um, the the white labels. Well, clear also does not do very well for reuse. White label, white label, white labels with black writing, you can label over something that was previously labeled and oh, that's true. reuse a file folder. But if clear label with black writing does not relabel very well. Yeah, that makes sense. So, yeah. So that's pretty much it. Um, we are reading Get Clients Now. We'll be talking to CJ Hayden. Looks like the beginning of July. We're, we're still confirming actual dates. Um, but yeah, go pick it up. You can get it on Amazon and, uh, you know, the, the tight, it's so funny, the cover of the book. And I tell people this all the time. It looks like, um, it looks like kind of an infomercial book, but it is, it is an awesome book. It's totally worth buying. It is a great book. And, uh, I, I think we've all read it or read parts of it. I've read parts of it. I haven't made it all the way through. Um, and, uh, yeah, so. We'll, we'll be going through that and talking about how to set up a, a marketing funnel, marketing pipeline, whatever you want to call it. And uh, is there anything else that I missed that we need to talk about? 
I guess not. So we will we'll wrap this up. We'll be on next week. Hasta la vista, baby. <laughs>